Drunk Mythology Friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. I'm Kim. And we're the Drunk Dracula Gals. Oh my god, I totally butchered the name because I've had vodka. Bless. <laughs> you know, I I am soon this, to join that train. But this does mm-hmm. not bode well for this episode. <laughs> uh, maybe it bodes really well because we're going to need it. Because you know what? This is chapter 17 of Brom Strokers Forever and Ever Dracula. Yes. Celebrating <gasps> the month of Drunk Dracula Gals, also called October. Also um, called- Submitted to the court, Xanaxtober. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Everybody but, likes that one. <laughs> yeah, vodka. Yeah, that's where we are today. Okay, do we have but, any? Uh, do we have any announcements that we need to make? Yes, we do. <clears throat> For this recording, the dialogue of Doctor Seward will be performed by other Jen. The internal wranglings of his heart will still be recorded by Kim. Carry on. How did that go? All right. Anyway, here we go. Back to England. Are you ready for the recap? Bring it. It's Our a recap. Re- it's a recap. Oh, yeah. It's a recap. I'm trying to, trying to mix it up. You know, there is no mixing with this because this is the recap for chapter 16. The most important thing to note about this chapter is that we get the word tingling again. Oh, but really, guys, the guys had to head to the graveyard, and Lucy reveals her username on OnlyFans is Bluefer Lady. Oh, no. <laughs> She's like, oh, Saltine Cracker, my love, didn't you say we were married because you know blood? And Lord Saltine Cracker is like, oh, nope, nope, didn't say it. But yeah, everyone is like, am I more disturbed because Lucy might be the Bluefer Lady or because she looks hot for a dead chick? But seriously, the way Van Helsing pushes them, then comforts them, then pushes them is That is how you start a cult. He tells the guys that they're going to have to do the head chopping garlic thing and maybe the stake through the heart thing with Lucy and anyone volunteer. Everyone except Lord Saltine Cracker immediately takes one step back. But hey, he finally gets to kiss Lucy on the lips once she's actually dead for good. So yay, I guess. I don't even know anymore. Anyway, carry on. Dr. Seward's diary continued. When we arrived at the Berkeley Hotel, Van Helsing found a telegram waiting for him. Am coming up by train. Jonathan at Whitby. Important news. Mina Hawker. The professor was delighted. Ah, that wonderful Madame Mina. Pearl among women. She arrived, but I cannot stay. She must go to your house, friend John. <laughs> oh my God. You must meet her at the station. Telegraph her en route so that she may be prepared. When the wire was dispatched, he had a cup of tea. Over it, he told me of a diary kept by Jonathan Harker when abroad and gave me a typewritten copy of it, as also of Mrs. Harker's diary at Whitby. Take these and study them well. When I have returned, you will be quizzed on them. You will be master (laughs) of all the facts and we can then better enter on our inquisition. The inquisition... (laughs) Keep them safe, for there is in them much of treasure. You will need all your faith, even you who have had such experience as that of today. He laid his hand heavily and gravely on the packet of papers as he spoke. What is here, sorry, what is here told may be the beginning of the end to you and me and many another. Or it may sound the knell of the undead who walks the earth. 
read all I pray you and with the open mind huh? and if you can add in any way to the story you're told do so for it is all important you have kept diary of all these so strange things is it not so yes then we shall go through all these things together when we meet He then made ready for his departure and shortly after drove off to Liverpool Street. I took my way to Paddington, where I arrived about 15 minutes before the train came in. The crowd melted away after the bustling fashion common to arrival platforms, and I was beginning to feel uneasy lest I might miss my guest, when a sweet-faced, dainty-looking girl stepped up to me and, after a quick glance, said... Dr. Seward, is it not? And you are Mrs. Harker, I answered at once, whereupon she held out her hand. I knew you from the description of our poor dear Lucy, but... She stopped suddenly and a quick blush overspread her face. The blush that rose to my own cheeks somehow set us both at ease, for it was a tacit answer to her own. I got her luggage, which included a typewriter. She's armed. She's armed and dangerous. (laughs) We took to the underground to Fenchurch Street after I had sent a wire to my housekeeper to have a sitting room and bedroom prepared at once for Mrs. Harker. They're just randomly sending wires from the tube station? I guess. That's like the old method of texting, I guess? Yeah. I guess. Okay. In due time, we arrived. She knew, of course, that the place was a lunatic asylum, but I could see that she was unable to repress a shudder when we entered. She told me that if she might, she would come presently to my study as she had much to say. So here I am, finishing my entry in the phonograph diary whilst I await her. As yet, I have not had the chance of looking at the papers which Van Helsing left with me, though they lie open before me. I must get her interested in something so that I may have an opportunity of reading them. She does not know how precious time is or what a task we have at hand. Or does she? (laughs) I must be careful not to frighten her. Here she is. Mina Hawker's Journal, 29th September. After I tidied myself, I went down to Dr. Seward's study. At the door, I paused for a moment for I thought I'd heard him talking with someone. As, however, he had pressed me to be quick. I knocked at the door, and on his calling out, Come in! I entered. To my intense surprise, there was no one there with him. He was quite alone, and on the table opposite him was what I knew at once from the description to be a phonograph. I'd never seen one and was much interested. I hope I did not keep you waiting, I said, but I stayed at the door as I heard you talking, and I thought there was someone here with you. He replied with a smile. Oh, I was only entering my diary. Your diary? I asked him in surprise. Yes, I keep it in this. As he spoke, he laid his hand over on the phonograph. I felt quite excited over it and blurted out, Why, this beats even shorthand. (laughs) May I hear it say something? Certainly, he replied with alacrity and stood up to put in train for speaking. Then he paused and took a troubled look overspread his face. The fact is, I only keep my diary in it. And as it is entirely almost entirely, about my cases, it may be awkward. That is, I mean... He stopped, and I tried to help him out of his embarrassment. You helped to attend dear Lucy at the end. Let me hear how she died. For that all I know of her, I shall be very grateful. She was very, very dear to me. To my surprise, he answered with a horror-struck look on his face. Tell you of her death? Not for the wide world. 
Why not, I asked, for some grave, terrible feeling was coming over me. Again, he paused, and I could see he was trying to invent an excuse. At length, he stammered out, You see, I I do not know how to pick out any particular part of the diary. Uh Uh-huh. Even when he was speaking, an idea dawned upon him, and he said with unconscious simplicity in a different voice and with the naivete of a child, That quite true upon my horror. Honest Indian. I could not help but smile at the horrible racism. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At which he grimaced. I gave myself away that time. But do you know that although I have kept the diary for months past, it never once struck me how I was going to find any particular part of it in case I wanted to look it up. By this time, my mind was made up that the diary of a doctor who attended Lucy might have something to add to the sum of our knowledge of that terrible being. And I said boldly, (laughs) then, Dr. Seward, you'd better let me copy it out for you on my typewriter. He grew to a positive deathly pallor as he said, no, 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 for all the world. I, I wouldn't let you know that terrible story. Then it was terrible. My intuition was right. (laughs) For a moment, I thought, and as my eyes ranged the room, unconsciously looking for something as some opportunity to aid me, they lit on a great batch of typewriting on the table. His eye caught the look in mine, and without his thinking, followed their direction. As they saw the parcel, he realized my meaning. You don't know me, I said. When you've read these, you don't know me. When you've read these papers, my own diary and my husband's also, which I have typed, you will know me better. I have not faltered in giving every thought of my own heart in this cause, but of course, you do not know me yet, and I must not expect you to trust me so far. He's certainly a man of noble nature. Poor dear Lucy was right about him. He stood up and opened a large drawer in which were arranged in order a number of hollow cylinders of metal covered with dark wax, and said, You are quite right. I did not trust you because I did not know you. But I know you now, and let me say that I should have known you long ago. I know that Lucy told you of me. She told me of you, too. May I make the only atonement in my power? Take the cylinders and hear them. The first half dozen of them are personal to me, and they will not horrify you. If you're not scared of flies and spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Then you will know me better. Dinner will by then be ready. In the meantime, I shall read over some of these documents and shall be better able to understand certain things. He carried the phonograph himself up to my sitting room and adjusted it for me. Now, now I shall learn something pleasant, I'm sure, for it will tell me the other side of a true love episode of which I know one side already. What does she think is about to happen? Yeah, wait, huh? Okay. Dr. Seward's Diary. 29 September. I was so absorbed in that wonderful diary of Jonathan Harker and that other of his wife that I let the time run on without thinking. Mrs. Harker was not down when the maid came to announce dinner, so I said, she is possibly tired. Let dinner wait an hour. And I went on with my work. Well, you could just ask. Right. I had just finished Mrs. Harker's diary when she came in. She looked sweetly pretty, but very sad, and her eyes were flushed with crying. This somehow moved me much. Of late, I have had cause for tears. God knows, but the relief of them was denied me, and now the sight of those sweet eyes, brightened with recent tears, went straight to my heart. So I said as gently as I could, I greatly fear I have distressed you. 
Oh, no, not distressed me. But I have been more touched than I can say by your grief. That is a wonderful machine, but it is cruelly true. It told me in its very tones the anguish of your heart. It was like a soul crying out to Almighty God. No one must ever hear them spoken ever again. See, I've tried to be useful. I've copied out the words on my typewriter, and none others need hear now your, hear your heartbeat as I did. No one need ever know, shall ever know, I said in a low voice. She laid her hand on mine and said very gravely, Ah, but they must. Must? But why? Because it's part of a terrible story, a part of, a part of poor dear Lucy's death and all that led to it. Because in the struggle which we have before us to rid the earth of this terrible monster, we must have all the knowledge and all the help which we can get. I think that <laughs> I think that the cylinders which you gave me contain more than you intended me to know. Because now I know that you're a complete freaking lunatic. But I can see <laughs> that there are in your record many lights in this dark mystery. You'll let me help you, will you not? I know all up to a certain point, and I see already, though your diary only took me to 7 September, how poor Lucy was beset and how a terrible doom was being wrought out. Jonathan and I have been working day and night since Professor Van Helsing saw us. He's gone to Whitby to get more information. He'll be here tomorrow to help us. We need have no secrets amongst us. Working together and with absolute trust, we can surely be stronger than if some of us were in the dark. She looked at me so appealingly and at the same time manifested such courage and resolution in her bearing that I gave in at once to her wishes. You shall do as you like in the matter. God forgive me if I do wrong. There are terrible things yet to learn of. But if you have so far traveled on the road to poor Lucy's death, you will not be content. I know to remain in the dark. Nay, the end, the very end, may give you a gleam of peace. Come, there is dinner. We must keep one another strong for what is before us. We have a cruel and dreadful task. When you have eaten, you shall learn the rest, and I shall answer any questions you ask. If there be anything which you do not understand, though it was apparent to us who are present." Oh, Maybe. he's going to answer questions? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's gonna novel he's, concept. He, he explain it to my class her. all the time, huh? <laughs> Mina Hawker Journal, 29 September. After dinner, I came with Dr. Seward to his study. He brought back the phonograph in my room, and I took my typewriter. He placed me in a comfortable chair and arranged the phonograph so that I could touch it without getting up and showed me how to stop it in case I should want to pause. Then he very thoughtfully took a chair with his back to me so that I might be free as possible and began to read. I put the forked metal to my ears and listened. When the terrible story of Lucy's death and and all that followed was done. I lay back in my chair, powerless. Fortunately, I am not of a fainting disposition. When Dr. Seward saw me, he jumped up with a horrified exclamation, hurriedly taking a case bottle from a cupboard, gave me some brandy, which in a few minutes somewhat restored me. Because I took more than a glass, let me tell you. <laughs> Right? <laughs> My brain was all in a whirl, and it only came there through that multitude of horrors, the holy ray of light that my dear, dear Lucy was at peace. I do not think I could have borne it without making a scene. It is also wild and mysterious and strange that if I had not known Jonathan's experience in Transylvania, I could not have believed. As it was, I didn't know what to believe, and so got out of my difficulty by attending to something else. I took the cover off my typewriter and said to Dr. Seward, let me write this all out now. We'll be ready for Dr. Van Helsing when he comes. I sent a telegram to Jonathan to come on here when he arrives in London from Whitby. 
In this matter, dates are everything. And if I think if we get all our material ready and have every item put in chronological order, we shall in have a done spreadsheet. in a spreadsheet. We should. We <laughs> shall have done much. You tell me that that uh, Lord Godalming and Mister Morris are coming too. Let us be able to tell him when they come. He accordingly set the phonograph at a slow pace, and I began to typewrite from the beginning of the seventh cylinder. I used manifold, and so took three copies of the diary, just as I had done with all the rest. It was late when I got through, but Dr. Seward went about his work of going through rounds of his patients. When he finished, he came back and sat near me, reading, so that I did not feel too lonely while I worked. How good and thoughtful he is. The world seems full of good men, even if there were monsters in it. Before I left him, I remembered what Jonathan put in his diary of the professor's perturbation at reading something in an evening paper at the station at Exeter. So, seeing that Dr. Seward kept his newspapers, I borrowed the files of the Westminster Gazette, the Pall Mall Gazette, and took them to my room. I remember how much the Daily Graph and the Whitby Gazette, of which I'd made cuttings, helped us to understand the terrible events at Whitby when Count Dracula landed. So I shall look through the evening papers. Since then, and perhaps I shall get some new light. I'm not sleepy, and the work will help keep me quiet. She is. She's all about making folders, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Seward's Diary. 30 September. Mr. Harker arrived at nine o'clock. He had got his wife's wire just before starting. He is uncommonly clever, if one can judge from his face, and full of energy. If his journal be true, and judging by one's own wonderful experiences, it must be, he is also a man of great nerve. That going down to the vault a second time, down to the left, was a remarkable piece of daring. <laughs> Except really he didn't, get, didn't the get the key. <laughs> After reading his account of it, I was prepared to meet a good specimen of manhood, but hardly the quiet, business-like gentleman who came here today. Later. After lunch, Harker and his wife went back to their own room, and as I passed a while ago, I heard the click of the typewriter. They are hard at it. Hey, you know, each to his own. <laughs> no kink shaming. <laughs> Mrs. Harker says that they are knitting together in chronological oh, order. That's what you every, call it now. <laughs> every scrap of evidence they have. Harker has got the letters between the consignee of the boxes at Whitby and the carriers in London who took charge of them. He is now reading his wife's transcript of my diary. I wonder what they make of it. Here it is. Strange that it never struck me that the very next house might be the Count's hiding place. Dun, no dun, kidding. Duh, you think? Goodness knows that we had enough clues from the conduct of the patient Renfield. Hello. <laughs> the bundle of letters relating to the purchase of the house were with the typescript. Oh, if we had only had them earlier, we might have saved poor Lucy. Stop. That way madness lies. <laughs> Parker has gone back and is again collating his material. He says that by dinner time, they will be able to show a whole connected narrative. Oh, it's he, about time. He <laughs> thinks that in the meantime, I should see Renfield. Oh. As hitherto, he has been a sort of index to the coming and going of the count. I hardly see this yet, but when I get at the dates, I suppose I shall. What a good thing that Mrs. Harker put my cylinders into type. We never could have found the dates otherwise. I found Renfield sitting placidly in his room with his hands folded, smiling benignly. 
At the moment, he seemed as sane as anyone I ever saw. I sat down and talked with him on a lot of subjects, all of which he treated naturally. He then, of his own accord, spoke of going home, a subject he has never mentioned, to my knowledge, during his sojourn here. In fact, he spoke quite confidently of getting his discharge at once. I believe that had I not had the chat with Harker and read the letters and the dates of his outbursts, I should have been prepared to sign for him after a brief time of observation. As it is, I am darkly suspicious. All these outbreaks were in some way linked with the proximity of the Count. What then does this absolute content mean? Can it be that his instinct is satisfied as to the vampire's ultimate triumph? Stay, he is himself, zo- I can't say this word again, zoophagus, zoophagus, and in his wild ravings outside the chapel door of the deserted house, he always spoke of, Master. This all seems confirmation of our idea. However, after a while, I came away. My friend is just a little too sane at present to make it safe to probe him too deep with questions. He might begin to think, and then... So I came away. I mistrust these quiet moods of his, so I have given the attendant a hint to look closely after him and to have a straight waistcoat ready in case of need. Jonathan Harker's Journal. 29 September. In train to London. Oh, I forgot. He's like so detailed. I forgot about that. (laughs) In the train. When I received Mr. Billington's courteous message that he would give me any information in his power, I thought it best to go down to Whitby and make on the spot such inquiries as I wanted. It was now my object to trace that horrid cargo of the Counts to its place in London. Later, we may be able to deal with it. Billington Jr., a nice lad, met me at the station and brought me to his father's house where they had decided that I must stay the night. They are hospitable with true Yorkshire hospitality. Give a guest everything and leave him free to do as he likes. That is truly hospitable. Right? (laughs) They all knew that I was busy and that my stay was short, and Mr. Billington had ready in his office all the papers concerning the consignment of boxes. It gave me almost a turn to see again one of the letters which I had seen on the Count's table before I knew of his diabolical plans. Everything had been carefully thought out and done systematically and with precision. (laughs) Ravenclaw. He seemed to have been prepared for every obstacle which might be placed by accident in the way of his intentions being carried out. To use an Americanism, he had taken no chances, and the absolute accuracy with which his instructions were fulfilled was simply the logical result of his care. I saw the invoice and took note of it. Fifty cases of common earth to be used for experimental purposes. Also, the copy of letter to Carter P. Patterson and their reply. Of both of these, I got copies. This was all the information Mr. Billington could give me, so I went down to the port and saw the Coast Guards, the customs officers, and the harbor master. Oh, I hope they- we get to find out what they all said. <laughs> <laughs> they had Hello. all something to say of the strange <laughs> entry of the ship, which is already taking its place in local tradition, but no one could add to the simple description 50 cases of common earth. 
for experimental purposes. <laughs> I then saw the station master who kindly put me in communication with the men who had actually received the boxes. Their tally was exact with the list, and they had nothing to add except that the boxes were main and mortal heavy, and that shifting them was dry work. One of them added <laughs> that it was hard lines that there wasn't any gentleman such like as yourself, squire, to show some sort of appreciation of their efforts in a liquid form. Here, oh, here. those guys that yeah. wanted the drinks. That's yep. who they're talking about. Another put in a rider that the thirst then generated was such that even the time which had elapsed had not completely allayed it. Needless to add, I took care before leaving to lift forever and adequately this source of reproach. Did he buy them as many as two rounds? Is that what I mean? <laughs> right? 30 September. The station master was good enough to give me a line to his old companion, the station master at King's Cross, so that when I arrived there in the morning, I was able to ask him about the arrival of the boxes. He, too, put me at once in communication with the proper officials, and I saw that their tally was correct with the original invoice. The opportunities of acquiring an abnormal thirst had been here limited. A noble use of them had, however, been made, and again, I was compelled to deal with the result <laughs> of an ex post facto manner. Oh, my God. I don't even know what that Everybody means. Everybody just wants a drink. <laughs> right? Come on. Here, here. It's, an, it's the 19th century. Everybody right. wants a drink. From thence, I went on to Carter Patterson's central office where I met with the utmost where, yeah, where I met with the utmost courtesy. They looked up the transaction in their day book and letter book and at once telephoned to their King's Cross office for more details. By good fortune, the men who did the teaming were waiting for work, and the official at once sent them over, sending also by one of them the waybill and all the papers connected with the delivery of the boxes at Carfax. Here again, I found the tally agreeing exactly. The carrier's men were able to supplement the plausity of the written words with a few details. These were, I shortly found, connected almost solely with the dusty nature of the job <laughs> and of the consequent thirst engendered in the operators. Oh, my God. On my affording an opportunity through the medium of the, sen of the currency of the realm of the allaying at that uh, at a later period, this beneficial evil, one of the men remarked. That year, house governor is the rummiest I was I ever was in. Blimey, but it ain't been touched since a hundred years. There was dust that thick in the place that you might have that you might have slept on it without hurting your bones, and the place that was neglected and you might have smelled the old Jerusalem in it. What? Wow. But the I'm old guessing chapel. that means old. <laughs> yeah, but the old chapel that took the kite. It did. Me I beg your mate. pardon. <laughs> right. <laughs> we thought we'd never get out of there quick enough. Law, I wouldn't take less nor a quid a moment to stay in there after dark. Having been in the house, I could well believe him. But if he knew what I knew now, he would, I think, have raised his terms. <laughs> of one thing, I am now satisfied that all the boxes which arrived at Whitby from Varna in the Demeter were safely deposited in the old chapel at Carfax. 
there should be 50 of them there unless any have since been removed, as from Dr. Seward's diary, I fear. I shall try to see the carter who took away the boxes from Carfax when Renfield attacked them. By following up this clue, we may learn a good deal. Later. Mina and I have worked all day and we have put all the papers in order. Is that code for Ooh. something? <laughs> They're hard at it. Mina Hawkes Journal. 30 September. I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I hardly know how to contain myself. It is, I suppose, the reaction from the haunting fear which I have had that this terrible affair and the reopening of his old wound might act detrimentally on Jonathan. I saw him leave for Whitby with as brave a face as I could, but I was sick with apprehension. The effort, however, has done him good. He was never so resolute, never so strong, never so full of volcanic energy as present. <laughs> it is just wow. that dear good Professor Van Helsing said. He is true grit and he improves under strain that would kill a weaker nature. He came back full of life and hope and determination. We've got everything in order for tonight. Oh, I, I bet myself, you do. I right? myself feel quite wild with excitement. <laughs> I suppose one ought to pity anything so hunted as is the Count. The th that is just it. This thing is not human, not even beast. To read Dr. Seward's account of poor Lucy's death and what followed is enough to dry up the springs of pity in one's heart. Later, Lord Godalming and Mr. Morris arrived earlier than we expected. Dr. Seward was out on business and had taken Jonathan with him, so I had to see it to them. It was to me a painful meeting, for it brought back all poor dear Lucy's hopes of only a few months ago. Of course, they heard Lucy speak of me, and it seemed that Dr. Van Helsing, too, has been quite blowing my trumpet, as Mr. Morris <laughs> expressed it. Poor fellows. Neither of them is aware that I know all about all the proposals they made to Lucy. The losers. They did not quite know what to say or do, as they were ignorant of the amount of my knowledge. So they, ha I had, they had to keep on neutral subjects. However, I thought the matter over and came to the conclusion that the best thing I could do would be to post them in the affairs right up to date. I knew from Dr. Seward's diary that they had been at Lucy's death, her real death, and I need not fear of betraying any secret before the time. So I told them as well as I could that I had read all the papers and diaries and that my husband and I, having typewritten them, had just finished putting them in order. I gave them each a copy to read in the library. When Lord Godalming got his and turned it over, it does make a pretty good pile. <laughs> he said, Did you write all this, Mrs. Harker? I nodded and he went on. I don't quite see the drift of it, but you people are all so good and kind and have been working so earnestly and so energetically uh -huh. <laughs> that all I can do is to accept your ideas blindfold and try to help you. I have had one lesson already in accepting facts that should make a man humble to the last hour of his life. Besides, I know you loved my poor Lucy. Here he turned away and covered his face with his hands. I could hear the tears in his voice. Mr. Morris, with instinctive delicacy, just laid a hand for a moment on his shoulder, then quietly walked out of the room. What bros these guys are. Right? I suppose there is something in a woman's nature that makes a man free to break down before her and express his feelings on the tender or emotional side without it feeling derogatory to his manhood. For when Lord Godalming found himself alone with me, he sat down on the sofa and gave way utterly and openly. I sat down beside him and took his hand. I hope he didn't think it forward of me, and that if he ever thinks of it afterwards, he'll never have such a thought. <laughs> there I wrong him. I know he never will. He's too true a gentleman. I said to him, for I could see that his heart was breaking. 
Oh, sorry. Wait, that, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's still me, right? We have our yeah. little cues mixed up here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I love dear Lucy, and I know what she was to you and what you were to her. She and I were like sisters, and now she's gone. Will you not let me be like a sister to you and your trouble? I know what sorrow you have had, though I cannot measure the, the depth of them. If sympathy, if p- sympathy and pity can help in your affliction, won't you let me be of some little service for Lucy's sake? In an instant, the poor dear was overwhelmed with grief. It seemed to me that all he had once been suffering in silence found a vent. He grew quite hysterical and raised his open hands, beat his palms together in a perfect agony of grief. He stood up and then sat down again, and the tears rained down his cheeks. I felt an infinite pity for him and opened my arms unthinkingly. With a sob, he laid his head on my shoulder and cried like a weary child whilst he shook with emotion. Aren't women supposed to be the more emotional ones? Like, um, Not that, hello. I'm pretty sure that's what we read in earlier chapters. <laughs> we women have something of the mother in us that makes us rise above smaller matters when the mother spirit is invoked. I felt this big sorrowing man, man's head resting on me as though it were that of a baby that someday may lie on my own bosom. And I stroked his hair as though he were my own child. I never thought at the time how strange it all was. After a little bit of sob ceased, and he raised himself with an apology, though he made no disguise of his emotion, he told me that for days and nights past, weary days and sleepless nights, he'd been unable to speak with anyone, as a man must speak in his time of sorrow. There was no woman whose sympathy could be given to him, or with whom, owing to the terrible circumstances with which his sorrow was surrounded, he could speak freely. I know now how I suffered, he said as he dried his eyes. But I do not know even yet, and none other can ever know, how much your sweet sympathy has been to me today. I shall know better in time, and believe me that, though I am not ungrateful now, my gratitude will grow with my understanding. Oh my (laughs) God, what the (laughs) hell? You will let me be like a brother. Ah, that's not the gist I'm getting. Will you Uh, not for all our lives? For dear Lucy's sake? For dear Lucy's sake, I said as we clasped hands. Isn't that one of those categories? Yes. (laughs) Oh, I, and for your own sake, he added. For if a man's esteem and gratitude are ever worth the winning, you have won mine today. If ever the future should bring to you a time when you need a man's help, like to move a refrigerator? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Believe me, you will not call in vain. God grant that no such time may ever come to you to break the sunshine of your life. But if it should ever come, promise me that you will let me know. He was so earnest and his sorrow was so fresh that I felt it would comfort him. So I said, I promise. As I came along the corridor, I saw Miss, Mr. Morris looking out of a window. He turned as he heard my footsteps. How is Art? He said, then noticing my red eyes, he went on. Ah, I see you've been comforting him, poor old fella. He needs it. No one but a woman can help a man when he's in trouble of the heart and he had no one to comfort him. He bore his own trouble so bravely that my heart bled for him. I saw the manuscript in his hand and I knew that when he read it, he would realize how much I knew. So I said to him, I wish I could comfort all who suffer from the heart. Will you let me be your friend and will you come to me for comfort if you need it? You will know (laughs) later on why I speak. He saw that I was in earnest and stooping, took my hand and raised it to his lips, kissed it. It seemed but poor comfort to so brave and unselfish a soul. And impulsively, I bent over and kissed him. (laughs) The 
little tart. The oh, tears rose in his eyes and there was a momentary choking in his throat. He said quite calmly, Little girl, you'll never regret that true heart of kindness so long as you, ever you live. Then he went into the study to his friend. Little girl, the very words he had used to Lucy. And oh, but he proved himself a friend. <laughs> And yeah. uh, on that weird note, <laughs> oh, we're gonna I put a good in it for today. There, it's just Damn. like intro H finding yeah, swapping one in. All. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <sighs> yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm. These, cre- these people I'm, obviously need to meet more more women. <laughs> I'm thoroughly creeped out. This is. Wow. And not in the way that Bram intended. <laughs> right? But also not, like, possibly not in graveyards. <laughs> the, the fact that like he's not Ben Helsing's not there. They're like, look, we put everything together, all the information in chronological order, and we can actually figure it out. And we're getting the Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. Right? Oh. <sighs> okay. What's coming up next? Yeah. Okay. So uh, tomorrow, chapter 18, Renfield proves that out of all of them, he's the only one who knows how to talk to a lady. Oh. Van, Hels- Van Helsing leans into cult gaslighting. I mean, explanations. At this point, and- he's not starting a cult. He's just running a cult. <laughs> <laughs> right. By this point, everybody's in. And honestly, Quincy Morris is the only one of them with a darn tootin' ounce of sense. Yeehaw, oh, I can't wait. That's Great. Yeah. Can't wait to see what Morris is doing. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Drunk Mythology Gals. That's right. For the month of October, we have the Drunk Dracula Gals tier for only $1. You get all of these Dracula episodes as soon as they're done producing, and you also get access to all of our other Lit Crit Hour episodes. That's right. And thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, oh, hey, look, we're a group of guys who've not met any women, but we met one and she died. But hey, you're a woman. You'll 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 do. do. Great. (laughs) Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, so can you.